Any human being who gives themselves over to the doing of evil could be considered a devil. Devil means wicked by nature. They talk about me, but they won't confront me. And that's what America wants, is control over what I say. You're dealing with an enemy that is a murderer from the beginning and a liar, so says Jesus in the book of St. John. That's my business to influence public opinion, especially when liars are deceiving the American people. How could we let the former colonial and slave master bring in vaccines for our people and we don't have scientists or laboratories to look at this and test it to see if it is what is on the label. What is a drone? It's something that flies. No pilot and it's dropping bombs killing even American citizens that they say are enemy combatants. I wonder what they got for me. Then we must rise up and kill those who kill us. Stop them and kill them and let them feel the pain of death that moves. us and I have learned a lot from InfoWars and some of the wonderful things that you have done and I thought long and hard about accepting the invitation and you're right I don't do a, a lot of interviews but I thought that this was something special and so I wanted you to feel completely free, like you were at home. And I want you to ask me the questions that your many listeners would like to know about Louis Farrakhan and the Nation of Islam. And there is nothing off limits. You, you can ask whatever you please and we'll create the dialogue. Thank you for having me in your home uh, and with your family. Driving over here, I talked about some of the reasons that I wanted to interview you. 
And then when I had a chance to be in your home right before the interview, you basically mirrored uh, what I had to say. So in your own words, I'd like you to really, for the TV viewing audience out there, uh, go over some of the interesting things that you had to say to me uh, and to the audience because uh, it just dovetailed exactly where I was going. And I have to say, I don't think I've ever had that happen before with an interview. Uh, so I'm really glad this is uh, happening here today because, as you know, there are forces that are trying to divide and conquer humanity. And we're really coming to a crossroads where people are being told to choose a side. But I don't think the sides they're telling us to choose are real sides. So I'm trying to get people to think outside the box. And when I spoke to you earlier, that was basically your main focus. So I think this interview is meant to happen for a reason. So thank you so much for giving us uh, the time and your busy schedule. Uh, so please just... Uh, if, if you could recapture what you told me in there earlier, it was very interesting. The idea of dialogue, truthful dialogue, that gets us past the media <coughs> manipulation of persons, events, and the truths of persons and events. I'm grateful to have an opportunity to talk to your audience as well as my own because I felt that I've been talking to black people for 60 or more years and black people understand me pretty well. But white people don't know me and may not understand me. I had a, a Jewish rabbi in my home, and he was telling me how certain words that I spoke hurt him and them as a people. And I listened carefully to his critique. One of the things about critics if you can really listen to your critics, your critics sometimes are better for you than your so-called friends because your friends tell you what they think you want to hear. But a critic will write about you or talk about you in a way that if you have wisdom, you look deep into what your critics say. So I went away from that dialogue with the Jewish rabbi and I started thinking of language and the best and proper use of language to convey ideas. Now black people, I know because I'm black and I come up from among my people, but to have a chance now to speak to a white audience, mainly who may be conservative in their culture and thoughts and desires, and for me to be able to represent the teachings of the Honorable Elijah Muhammad to that group and answer questions that they are interested in hearing a truthful answer to then by this dialogue and these cameras and 
looking into each other's eyes and understanding that we're two people interested in truth. We're two people that live in the greatest nation on this earth, but the nation is not now what it could be if truth unfettered would be given to the American people. And perhaps through this dialogue that might happen. Well, that is exactly what I hope to, to try to discuss with you today. So I'm glad that you're you know, basically, I guess, in the spirit or your gut want to go the same direction because this nation is being basically destroyed from within. And while the people of the nation of every race, color, and creed are being played off against each other, these big global multinationals are tax-exempt, diplomatic immunity, they can do whatever they want. And then I see the media on both sides, the conservative and liberal, basically turning it all into a big spectacle, everyone fighting with each other. And there's some real beefs and real issues within that fight. But overall, it's synthetic. Above it uh, are the social engineers who are attacking the family, doesn't matter what color your family is, uh, who are attacking our jobs, shipping them overseas, doesn't matter what color your family is, that are trying to bring in medicalized tyranny and these dangerous vaccines I learned about so many decades ago in your newspaper, and it's been confirmed by medical research to be uh, basically Trojan horses. I mean, there's there's thousands of issues here, but the bottom line is humanity itself is under attack by the ruling elite, and they are desperately engaged in an attempt to start an artificial revolution in every major nation, not just the United States. They use anthropology in each country to decide how to divide people along real lines, real issues, but artificially getting us fighting with each other. So while we're busy fighting with each other, they steal the whole show. And you're one of the only prominent leaders, be they of any you know, race, color, creed, we're all the human race, that addresses that there is a conspiracy. So, I mean, in your own words earlier, uh, speaking about conspiracy, I mean, there are millions of people a year charged around the world with conspiracy to rob banks, conspiracy to commit murder, conspiracy to fraud. But how is it that the power elite, it's impossible that they're in a conspiracy? In uh, the teachings of the Honorable Elijah Muhammad, his great teacher, Master Farag Muhammad, who came to enliven the black people in particular, and raise us from a dead level to give us life spiritually, mentally, morally, economically, intellectually, etc. He taught us that he never used color in this question and answer. He asked the question, who are the 85%? Who are the 10%? and who are the 5%. And in the answers that Mr. Muhammad gave that we studied, 85% of the people don't understand the law of cause and effect. And they believe that all of this great wonder is from a mystery God. They don't know that God is as real as you and I sitting across the table from each other. 
and wherever there is an effect that is real, the cause is just as real, though oftentimes the hidden hand that's manipulating and creating the effect and the circumstances that begin to divide and destroy. This kind of satanic mind is absolutely in control and that satanic mind is hiding with a mask of humanity and civility but now it is gradually being exposed so 10% run 85% 10% are those that are privileged those that are blessed with education and some degree of wealth that 85% don't share and it doesn't make any difference whether you are white or black or Indian or whatever your ethnicity is and it doesn't make any difference what your religion is whether you're Christian or Muslim or Jew there are those at the top who guide and govern who are not necessarily the friend of the masses of the people that they are governing. So it is the 5% are just a small group who know the truth, who understand the law of cause and effect, and they don't believe in a mystery God that's somewhere making things happen. If there's a real evil, then there's a real devil. If there's a real saint, a saint, then there's a real good person doing saintly things. So here we are. Now a conspiracy absolutely is in vogue. Unfortunately, you've grown up hearing voices that incessantly warn of government as nothing more than some separate sinister entity that's at the root of all our problems. It's time to stop submitting to this tyranny. It's time to realize that we're being enslaved. Some of these same voices also do their best to gum up the works. They'll warn that tyranny is always lurking just around the corner. Tyranny with a capital T. You should reject these voices. Everything that's been done with torture, rendition, the NDAA, the Patriot Acts 1 and 2, from day one, was focused on the American people, period. That's it. It's always been about erasing the Bill of Rights and Constitution and rolling out NSA spying publicly, saying it's for Al-Qaeda, rolling out torture, saying it's for Al-Qaeda, but it's really for the general public, rolling out total control and the end of any underground free market systems in the name of fighting Al-Qaeda, but really shutting down any kind of free commerce. This is all about converting us from a free society to a tyranny with a capital T. And I say this humbly, but I've asked certain people who say, well, you're a conspiracy theorist and they call you the same. I said, but do you read the scriptures of the Bible and Quran? Is not Satan real? Evil is real, so Satan is real. Evil is preponderant in the earth, 
And that is because the mind of Satan who, that is being transmitted through religion, through education, through the economics and politics of the situation so that Satan is in control of a vast enterprise of institutions that foster ideas that put human beings against themselves and against God and against each other. So there's real conspiracy and we are in the middle of it as we are dialoguing. That really is a revolutionary thought that if you question the establishment, you question what they're saying when they're known liars, you're a conspiracy theorist. That's like saying you're a heretic. Okay, well if we're a heretic against the system, then I guess we're a heretic against the devil. Because this system undoubtedly, you couldn't call it good. And from my research, that's my concern. The 5%, the 1%, the one-tenth of 1% that actually run and control, manipulate things, they believe they're going to end up winning. They believe that they're getting ahead of people by keeping folks dumbed down. But common sense shows, and just my gut tells me, you don't screw people over and then long-term get away with it. It comes back on you. And I think the people serving this system are some of the most deceived out there because they know how the world really works, but they've decided to basically try to screw over their fellow humans as if they're going to get ahead by doing that. I mean, just anybody who's God-fearing in their gut level has to know that's a lie. Well, Mr. Jones, in reality, there are those who go along to get along. And there are those who will take money or position or promises of nearness to power to become an instrument of power. They know what they're doing, but they do not know the vast evil that they are a part of. So the Honorable Elijah Muhammad, my teacher said, we are living now in a very dangerous time. He said there never has been a time where on the earth there is 100% dissatisfaction. Whites are dissatisfied, blacks are dissatisfied, there are Jews and Gentiles that are dissatisfied. Well, what is creating the dissatisfaction? It is the deprivation of rights and privileges. It is the deprivation of truth. It is the deprivation of justice. It is the deprivation of equity. It is the deprivation of equality of opportunity that each human being should have to bring out of themselves what God has put within that they in their person may glorify God and create a world better than the world in which we find ourselves. So the politicians today, I, I looked at the many Republicans and Democrats that are trying to win the nomination of their party. And it says to me, you know, it's like a, I don't want to be vulgar, but it's like you, in any major city, you see women undressed, showing their wares for a John 
to buy them. And it's like politicians who don't have money but have ideas and they parade themselves before rich and powerful people to get money apparently for their ideas that the rich agree with but the moment that they become what they're looking to become they find that the rich have an agenda for them that the rich have something to ask of them like the John asks of the prostitute. And that's one of the things that I admire about Mr. Trump because he told them all, I don't want your money. Politicians are all talk, no action. Most of them don't know what they're doing. They just could run. They like, change, you know, like you wind them up and they run for office. They're controlled fully by the lobbyists by the donors and by the special interests fully. And you said recently, quote, when you give, they do whatever the hell you want them to do. You better believe it. So what specifically did they do? If I ask them, if I need them, you know, most of the people on this stage I've given to, just so you understand, a lot of money. And when a politician does not want money from the rich, he's freer than the others to really do good for the masses of the people. And I think that today we're in the midst of the darkest hour in American history. And so if we don't make the right move with the right people at the right time, the America that we know, we're not going to see it become great again. I'd like to speak some more, if you would, about Donald Trump, because I personally just had my snapshot view of him, seeing him on TV, shows like The Apprentice, I mean, I know about his businesses and things. But then as he became more and more prominent in the race in the last six months, he's been in, in the front runner, I saw the media doing what they've done to you, myself, and many others, really taking over and over again what he said out of context. Uh, countless times, and it didn't even mean I totally agree with what he was saying, but I could see the fix was in that they really didn't like him. Then I saw the Republican and Democrats giving money against him. Uh, and then I saw him say, hey, we're going to start taxing these big brokerage firms that are tax-exempt, make them bring their money back here. We're not going to have NAFTA and GATT one-sided to ship our jobs to other countries. He said, I'm not against China and India, but, but you know, I, I'm sorry. There's no way to do business here the way they've set it up. All these multinationals wanted to move overseas, so they wrote laws to make it more conducive. And that's really where he's got him mad. And so, undoubtedly, the establishment is after him. And now he's come out and pointed out that Bill Clinton has settled rape cases and, and said, you know, forget going after Bill Cosby. Let's see Bill Clinton gone after. That tells me right there that he's for real. Uh, and then talking to some of his high-level campaign people, they talk about the fact that Trump used to, and he told me this on air, he used to just be focused on business and life. He's just now, the last few years, looking into what's happening and finding out the country's been sold out. I'm not trying to even fully endorse Trump here. All I know is the anger of the power structure towards him is real, and so I think everybody should investigate more why that is. I think it's because he does get on the stage and says, listen, I'm not going to lie. I bought all these people on this stage 
that's just how this country works. I don't want to do that. So from your experience uh, in all, you know, tracking the media, experiencing demonization campaigns, it's a big deal to have the Honorable Minister Liz Farrakhan come out and say, hey, uh, we should look at Trump. Can you flesh that out and elaborate? Because undoubtedly uh, they're going to try to, you know, take that and then twist it. Well, I said recently that um, if the American people voted for Trump, he could take them into the abyss of hell. He's free. He's rich. He hates political correctness, and rightly so. But he said some things that I would hope that he would get around him persons who could help him. Because as a businessman, par excellence, he has people around him to help him do business. But if he says, let's go in to Iraq and take the oil, that puts him in the class of those neoconservatives who have a project for a new American century. And they wrote to Bill Clinton and Trent Lott and they talked about attacking Iraq and taking out Saddam Hussein, not just because he may be in their eyes a dictator and was once on the payroll of the CIA in the war against uh, Iran and Ayatollah Khomeini, but he had become a thorn in their sides and they wanted to get rid of him. He kind of become a Trump. He was doing his own thing. Yes. That was his crime. And that is the crime of those who refuse to come under the control of the IMF or the World Bank, who send these people like Mr. Perkins in his book, The, um, the Tales of an Economic Hitman who would go into a small country and tell them how they could improve this and that, but they would have to borrow money. When I was in Nigeria, President Abacha told me that they came to him and offered him billions of dollars to loan. And Mr. Abacha said, I don't need your money because the oil that we have is sufficient to get us to do all the good things that we want to do. Well, a few years later, he's dead. Well, now here, Mr. Trump, if he would look at this project for an American century, and I'm sure you have read uh, their writings where they appeal to Bill Clinton to uh, get rid of Saddam as part of America's foreign policy, he didn't go along with it. And those members of the new American century now got into the inside of government under the Bush administration. And General Wesley Clark, he said he was introduced to a memo in, I think it was 
2001, a memo that came from the neoconservatives that they wanted regime change in seven Islamic countries in five, five years' time. I went through the Pentagon 10 days after 9-11. I couldn't stay away from Mother Army. I went back there to see Don Rumsfeld. I'd worked for him as a White House fellow in the 1970s. All this is in the book. And then I came back to the Pentagon about six weeks later. I saw the same officer. I said, why, uh, why haven't we attacked Iraq? We still going to attack Iraq? He said, oh, sir. He says, it's worse than that. He said, uh, he pulled up a piece of paper off his desk. He said, I just got this memo from the Secretary of Defense's office. It says we're going to attack and destroy the governments in, in seven countries in five years. We're going to start with Iraq, and then we're going to move to Syria, Lebanon, Libya, Somalia, Sudan, and Iran. I said, seven, seven countries in five years. I said, is that a classified memo? He said, yes, sir. I said, well, don't show it to me. He was about to show it to me. He said, because I want to talk about it. All of those countries now are boiling with internal strife. And, and it's a conspiracy, a public one, a PNAC, to go in, destabilize, put radicals in, uh, kill the non-radicals, go after the Christians, all of this, to then foment a collapse, flood Europe with all these refugees. Some of them will end up being attackers. And then you get an even bigger war on Islam. It's all part of that master plan. You're absolutely right. Trump contradicts himself. And I don't think through being ungenuine, he says, don't go into Iraq. It's a bad idea. But then he says, but let's do what the neocons say and take the oil. I mean, not putting words in your mouth, uh, Minister Farrakhan, but are you saying you're attracted to the fact that he is a maverick and that he says what he's really thinking, but at the same time, you're saying he needs to get the bigger picture to understand what's going on. If he goes into Iraq and takes the oil, that's a kind of a thuggish um, mentality. America has the power to do these things, but it will not bring the results that America desires. Bush and the neocons, when they went into Iraq, I warned President Bush that what you are doing and the way you are doing it, you will increase terrorism, you will not diminish it. It proved my words to him, proved correct, and I warned him that the coalition would fall apart from him and he would ultimately have to go it alone. Now here is our president. Now I'm talking about Barack Obama because the job that President Bush started was not finished. So in comes Obama and, in, and in, when he was campaigning, he was a new and fresh and beautiful idea but when he gets into office, he becomes the extension of the policies of the neoconservatives. They surrounded Bush, they surrounded Barack Obama, and now just uh, two weeks ago in Washington, there was all of these 
people who are behind the drones. And they were saying that in these drones that go out to kill people that America feels are a threat to their policies, none of that happens without Barack Obama's signature. So you took a man, we gave you the best that we had, but you took him, you gave him the peace prize, and then the neocons and the that shadow government begins to guide the policies of America. And now, here's what we have. Now, I, I'm going to come back to Mr. Trump in a minute. Hillary Clinton was the biggest advocate for the destruction of Libya and Muammar Gaddafi. Gaddafi was my friend. I know him as a revolutionary. He was against America's foreign policy objectives and he stood out. That man died, but he led his country. They had no debt. There's no country on earth that doesn't have debt, but Libya didn't have debt. Libya gave some of the oil money back to all the citizens. Libya armed the whole country and had depots where if anything happened, they could go and get arms. A man who is a despot does not arm his people that they can be manipulated to come against him. But the moment he gave up his weapons of mass destruction to come in out of the cold, who came to Libya? It was Richard Pearl. And where did he go? He went directly to Benghazi because it was from Benghazi that Gaddafi overthrew the king. He's from uh, that area of the world. So now they never did like Gaddafi, so they started stimulating the upset, the unrest, the dissatisfaction. And I don't care how good any leader is, there's always dissatisfaction in every house. And our government has gone into nations with money from our Congress to stimulate the dissatisfied and then arm them against a government that is their government. That's what America did in Libya. That's what they're doing in Syria. And the blowback now is they have created a refugee crisis that is destabilizing the countries in Europe. So when Mr. Uh, Trump said, um, we can't uh, allow these Muslims refugees into America. Donald J. Trump is calling for a total and complete shutdown of Muslims entering the United States until our country's representatives can figure out what the hell is going on? We don't have the systems in place on the ground to collect the information to vet. That would be the concern. Yes, I think that's the challenge we're all talking about, is that we can only query against that which we have collected. 
you can't account for what you don't know, and that goes to the intelligence deficit that I think is uh, uh, embedded in your question. We may have somebody who comes to us and is simply not on our radar for any discernible reason. And there may also be the possibility that somebody decides to do something bad after they've been admitted through the process. Now, a lot of people were upset with him, but I know, um, sir, that the hatred for America in the Muslim world is building, as we told Mr. Bush, no Muslim leader could call for jihad and have it stick. No Muslim leader had the power to unite the whole Muslim world. I said, but America's policies will unite those people against the West, and it is happening. So in this way, Mr. Trump, I think, is wise to vet anyone coming from that area into America because the hatred for America is in the streets now. So if those people are refugees and America feels I gotta let 10,000 of them in because America created the problem. Now, if you let them in and you don't vet them carefully, you might be letting in your own destruction. I'll close that, uh, Mr. Jones, with scripture. In the book of Revelations, it talks about Babylon falling. Ancient Babylon we know, but there's a mystery Babylon that the Honorable Elijah Muhammad says represents America and her dominance in the world. Now here we have Babylon falling. Mr. Trump says, I want to make America great again. The American people know that something is wrong because the country is not what it once was, doesn't have the influence that it once had, and even though militarily it is the strongest nation on the earth, it's $19 trillion in debt. It can never pay that debt. So 57% of the budget goes to produce more and more weapons because that's the only way America can threaten China, who America has borrowed trillions of dollars from. If China calls the debt, what happens to America and the dollar? The dollar is weak, as you know, and it started with the loss of the congressional mandate in the Constitution to mint the money. There's so much conspiracy that we could be here all day, but I'll close with this, sir. Babylon is fallen, it says, and has become a habitation of devils and a hole for every uh, wicked uh, spirit and a cage for every unclean and hateful bird. My teacher said, Babylon is America, and the devil means that all of us are in rebellion 
against the divine laws of God. Whatever God said thou shalt not do in America, you're free to do it. So whether we like the appellation devil or not, we are in rebellion against God. And look at the cage of every foul, unclean, and hateful bird. Those are the people, he said, that are flying out of the Middle East now, coming to America for refuge. But they're filled with hate of this country. So if Mr. Trump and the government is wise, you vet the people that are coming in. Wow, well that's my next point, is it's clearly, if you read the PNAC plan you brought up, they go devastate the Middle East, they destroy every infrastructure building up Africa, uh, Libya, they admit they want a failed state, commit that war crime, wreck it, and then they bring in groups from war-torn Syria that they know a good percentage of are going to attack. Then when they attack, they launch an even bigger class of civilizations and invade other countries, just like Saudi Arabia is involved in 9-11 with our government. They attack Iraq, nothing to do with it. And now they're saying Assad, it's his fault for ISIS when Hillary Clinton helped create it. They use the political and geopolitical ignorance of the American people to get away with this when the main target is to finally bring down the United States. Not that America was ever perfect, but it's been a battleground for good and evil, both the best and worst, to decide that. And now they want to use the United States to build the corporate world government, in my view, collapse America finally down, and then have the world government rise up out of that and out of the ashes of the big world war that's coming. You know, the greatest example of that is Russia, certainly not perfect. But you go to Russia, talk to folks that go there, people just like us, all they want is freedom, all they want is to love their kids. And our same government, both Republican Democrats, push war with Russia. Uh, the same thing. And then again, Donald Trump says, I don't want war with Russia. He says some good things, but then he says, go to Iraq and take the oil. I think what I'm getting at is, and I think you sense this, you said this, we met earlier for 20 minutes before we talked in here, is that we are at that crossroads. Big things are about to happen, and the mainstream media continues to distort what I'm saying, what you're saying, what Donald Trump's saying, so many others. And what we do have in difference is much smaller than what we have in common. It's really important for those of us that are outside the collapsing system to talk to each other because if you look at what the establishment's doing, it's trying to get us to fight with each other so there's no opposition when they finally collapse the country. Uh, can you specifically, though, speak to, I mean, there's so many issues I want to get to with you about where you think the future of this country is going if we wake up, if we transcend this conditioning versus where we're going if we continue to follow the plan uh, that these social engineers have for America. America has potential. The people of every ethnic and racial group live in America. The whole world lives here. If America could become what Christ taught or what Muhammad taught or what Moses and the Israelite prophets taught America could be the basis of the kingdom of God. 
That's the ultimate positive aim of those who want to see America survive. But, you know, I'm, I'm really concerned because Mr. Trump has hit on some very negative things with Mrs. Clinton and her husband. And I think it's dangerous for the future of politics and for the future of America when we become uncivil in our discourse. I was with the Honorable Elijah Muhammad one day, and prior to that I was with Brother Malcolm, and we were at Boston University, and Malcolm was addressing a room full of about 500 scholars. And before he got there, a reporter had told him something negative about Dr. King and his morality. And he stood in front of that audience and he brought it up and said negative things about Dr. King. A Caucasian man that was there jumped to his feet and condemned those words and then ran to the telephone to call Dr. King. He knew Dr. King personally. Dr. King was not at home, but his dear wife, Coretta, answered the phone. He came back to the room. He had not talked with Dr. King, but the word of what he said about Dr. King got back to Mr. Muhammad. Mr. Muhammad called Brother Malcolm in, and he said, in your public discourse, Never attack people personally. You go after their program, the falsity of their ideas, but you never let it become personal. In this dialogue between Mr. Trump as the potential uh, standard bearer of the Republican Party, and Mrs. Clinton, who has brought her husband beside her in her battle to get the nom to become the nominee of the Democratic Party. If they start down this road of bringing up negative things about Bill Clinton, and they bring up whatever they can discover about Mr. Trump, this political campaign will degenerate into something like two children in a crib and one child reaches into his diaper and picks up some fecal matter and rubs it in the face of the other one, but the other one's diaper is hanging lower and he, oh. reaches, <laughs> he reaches in and gets something and puts it in the face of the other. As children, you might look at it and say, laugh and say, oh, that's funny. But when two adults who are leading parties in the most 
powerful nation on earth degenerate the dialogue into that kind of personal uh, thing where we knock out each other with the bad of who we are. My mother used to say, you don't have to lie about anybody because the truth about everybody is bad enough. None of us sure. come through this world without sin. Absolutely. Well, I mean, I, I'm not here to defend Trump on every front. and I've got my own questions, and I, I tend to myself not trying to get the personal stuff. You talked about political correctness, and that's what I want to get into with you. For me, political correctness is about getting everybody fighting with each other, taking all these phantoms of racist or sexist things, and getting everybody upset about words, while all the big oppression of everybody's rights with the NSA and the rest of it is going on. I mean, that's my view, is that it's a way to squash debate, open dialogue. Uh, Minister Farrakhan, what is your view of political correctness? I think the type of political correctness that the media and those in power want to promote is robbing people of the freedom of thought and speech. I would like to sit with a person and be free to say what is on my heart. And if I'm incorrect, then correct me. But if I have to be politically correct, like Paula Dean, I'd like to bring her up. Now, Paula's from the South. And you know in the South, in the North, when white folk are together, they might say, you know, that nigger or that nigger. And it's just as common as saying ice cream and pie when they refer to black people. Political correctness that robs you of freedom of speech, even if you're wrong. But to punish somebody who has been calling us out of that name or in that name since we've been here and then take her off of television and make it seem like she's some wicked woman who just used the word and then our comedians will come on television and you say nigga 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 all day long and it's to some a term of endearment but Elijah Muhammad never wanted us to use such term in regards to ourselves, and we didn't like anybody using that term toward us. But political correctness, if I disagree with homosexuality, if I disagree with same-sex marriage, if I'm looking at the greatest athlete in the Olympics of 76, and he wants uh, uh, to be a transgender. I struggle with that, not to condemn the man like I'm his judge or condemn the woman who says nigger like I'm the judge, but when we dialogue, we correct misperceptions. That is what makes Trump acceptable to so many white people who fear them. I can't be myself now. I can't say what I really feel 
I'll pay a political price. So Mr. Trump says, to heck with that. I'll tell you what's on my mind. And that is freeing a lot of people that like what he is doing. Political correctness has its place. But for me, as a student of my teacher, I think I should always be dignified in my expression, although sometimes in passion, I lose it. The Quran teaches persecution is worse than slaughter. Then it says, retaliation is prescribed in matters of the slave. Retaliation is a prescription from God to calm the breath of those whose children have been slain. So if the federal government will not intercede in our affairs, then we must rise up and kill those who kill us. Stop them and kill them and let them feel the pain of death that we are feeling. And so I thought about, you know, when they said Farrakhan, uh, he uh, wants to kill all white people and he's advocating 10,000 fearless men go out and kill white people as though I'm insane. That's insanity. And I've been teaching for 60 years, sir. And no one who follows me has ever gone out and killed a white person, harmed a Jewish person, bombed a synagogue, or even put some swastika on a synagogue because that's against our religion to deface a house of worship. I'm saying that to say this. When I said in Florida, you know, naming all the blacks that got shot down and according to something I just read, one black man every 28 hours is shot by a policeman. And young black men are nine times more likely than other Americans to be killed by police officers in 2015, according to the findings of the Guardian newspaper. 1,134 deaths at the hands of law enforcement officers happened last year. As a black man who loves my people, I'm grieved, not only at police killing us, but I am grieved at our killing of each other, which sometimes is 10 times more than what white policemen have done. So in my passion against that, and this has been gradually increasing with me over the years, I said, if the federal government does not intercede to see that justice comes to us. Because that's the government's job. 
It's not my job to kill my killer. It's the government's job to arrest the killer, bring them before a court of law, and punish them for their misdeed. But when the government fails to do it, what are we to do? We have to defend our lives. And so I said, stop them wherever you find them. Not everybody, just the ones that kill us out of the law of justice. If the government won't arrest them and do that, somehow we're going to ultimately do that and then it leads to what they'll say. It's a race war? No. We are not in any position at all to engage in a race war. It's ridiculous. It's destructive. It's suicidal. However, persecution in the Quran, it says, is worse than slaughter. And you know, you talk about 1776, and you are so right. But in 1776, America had enough. Colonial people under Britain had enough. So when Patrick Henry said, give us liberty, or we are willing to pay the price, which is death. You force people into that when government fails to do its job to redress the grievance of the people who are suffering. And so I pray that, you know, Mr. Trump uh, will not want to go into Iraq and take the oil because that's what the neocons sent to President Bush uh, into Iraq to do and blow back now the end will be that America will be into the greatest war that she has ever been in the war that is in the scripture called Armageddon and it's building to that as you and I are speaking. Extremely powerful. Uh, just a, a question on that subject. I will put this interview out basically unedited. I mean, we'll put a lot of clips in and, and articles and things, but we're going to put almost the whole interview out basically. Mainstream media, they're going to take just what you said, even though you quoted Patrick Henry and the rest of it. I guarantee you they're going to take that and just show the clip again out of context. And they do that with me too. So I, I don't even, I'm asking you, how, how do we deal with that when there's nothing we can do? I guess mainstream media is losing credibility, losing ratings. Even USA Today a few weeks ago admitted uh, television for politics is dead. Uh, it faces its mortality. So I think I just answered my question. They discredited themselves, but still they just go online, they go on twisting. Because I can't disagree with anything you said about standing up for yourself and justice isn't done. Well, sir, that's what government is for. We would like an ordered society. Who wants to see America fall down under anarchy? But the dissatisfaction in the country is so great. But no foreign power has the right to come into America with money 
and go to those who are disaffected and pay them to use their arms against their government. That is something that the American people have to decide. There are thousands of militias now in America who are armed to the teeth. They are angry with their government. And that's why you and I will always be uh, listened to and even plotted against because when you have a voice of truth, it's not that you are radicalizing people with the truth, but the people are being radicalized when they know the truth of America's evil toward the little people. The situation in Oregon with the Bundys and the Hammonds that could degenerate into something very violent is a sign. What happened in Waco is a sign. The American people deserve a government that is truly of the people, by the people, and for the people. They don't have that kind of government as we speak. I hear Mr. Trump and other white Americans say, we must take our country back. And my question, Mr. Jones, take it back from whom? That was my next question. You were, <laughs> you were alluding to the Federal Reserve you've been a big critic of for, yeah. for 40, 50 years. Can you speak specifically to the Federal Reserve? You talked about Congress taking its power to print and coin the money back. I, in fact, we'll play a clip here where the former Federal Reserve chairman on Lair News Hour says, well, the government has no control over us. We run the government. We're above the law. No one can question us. I mean, that, that is such an incredible statement. I mean, that's the real rulers right there, in my view. Yeah, what should be the proper relationship between a chairman of the Fed and a president of the United States? Well, first of all, the Federal Reserve is an independent agency, and that means basically that uh, there is no other agency of government which can overrule actions that we take. So long as that is in place and there is no evidence that the administration or the Congress or anybody else is uh, requesting that we do things other than what we think is the appropriate thing, then what the relationships are uh, don't frankly matter. Americans says that they don't even want to hide their deceit anymore. They boldly declare, we run this. And for the American people to think that a black man in the White House has taken over this country, you know, that is so far from the truth because he's just the CEO of USA Inc., and they can either hire him or fire him for the job that he's doing, but he's not in control. Did you know that it was John Kennedy 
who recognized that there was a shadow government. I spoke about this in my broadcast on the time and what must be done. Kennedy said, we are opposed around the world by a monolithic and ruthless conspiracy that relies primarily on covet means for expanding its sphere of influence, on infiltration instead of invasion, on subversion instead of elections, on intimidation instead of free choice, on guerrillas by night instead of armies by day. It is a system which has conscripted vast human and material resources into the building of a tightly knit, highly efficient machine that combines military, diplomatic, intelligence, economic, scientific, and political operations. Its preparations are concealed, not published. Its mistakes are buried, not headlined. Its dissenters are silenced, not praised. No expenditure is questioned, no rumor is printed, no secret is revealed. This is why John Kennedy was killed. He understood the conspiracy. And as far back as the founding fathers of this nation, they knew that there would be those who would try to take over the um, set up, uh, what do you call the, uh, the Bank of America. Private Central Bank. A private central bank. And they were told to guard against that. And under Woodrow Wilson in 1913, the guard left. One of the Rockefellers met on Jekyll Island with Paul Warburg and his brother, who were from the Rothschilds. They wanted to set up like the five uh, children of Rothschild senior, the Bank of Italy, the Bank of Austria, the Bank of France, the Bank of England, all started by the banking family. Well, who cares who the politicians are, Mr. Rothschild said, as long as they control the wealth. So they bankrolled both sides of a conflict and ended up ruling both sides. This is where we are today, but uh, Mr. Jones, I tell you, no matter how hard the schemers plan to destroy the good that can come to the people with proper governance, they are losing and they will lose because they have set a trap but they're getting caught in their own trap. The American people are waking up. The masses all over the earth are beginning to rise. And that's why Zbigniew Brzezinski said, at one time, it was easier to control a million people than to kill a million people. Today, with the awakening of the masses, Zbigniew Brzezinski said, we're losing control of the masses, so it is easier today to kill 
a million people than to control. So all kinds of schemes are developing to kill mass populations. And you may have heard uh, us say that um, the gentleman that was the uh, Secretary of State under Nixon, Mr. Kissinger, developed this memo called Memo 200, in which he said that two billion people on this earth had to be um, culled because the resources of the earth are getting shorter, the population getting more, so we got to kill billions of people. And it's going on as we speak. You call them the pharmaceutical companies. Who goes against them? Nobody. Who goes against the gun lobby? Nobody. They don't have the power to change it. It's not that the American people shouldn't have guns. That's what the Constitution declares. We as Muslims, our leader told us no weapons. Not even as much as a pen knife. Because in our homes, the nation of Islam has taught hundreds of thousands of people. And in the nation, you never hear Muslim killing Muslim in an argument. Because we are taught that it's the truth that settles all arguments. So we don't have a gun to reach for or a knife to reach for. We reach for our intelligence and we argue over the truth. What is the truth? And if the truth is from my wife and it condemns an action of mine, I have to bow down to the truth. I can't raise my fist and strike her because it's against our law. I agree with you that free speech and liberation trumps violence. The problem is when an outside group comes who isn't going to listen to what you're having to say, then you're right to defend yourself, but, but, but separately, because that's one of my main questions, and I've got to get to it with you. Sure. And then you just started getting into it before I even asked it, but this is an amazing interview because you're just following where I was going to go without me even asking the question, so it's amazing. But eugenics, yes, 1,100 people get shot by the police every year and killed. In some cases, some cases, in fact, in a lot of cases, uh, it's in the wrong. Sometimes bad officers get away with it. I've written books on the subject. I've criticized it. I'm the guy that, you know, tried to expose the police state. But the police are only one small part of the police state. And for me, it becomes a scapegoat. We just make it about them and then project what bad officers do on other officers. And then I look separately and how they used hatred of police in Ukraine, George Soros did, to just now overthrow that government, not to empower the people, it was an elected government, but to create an even bigger crisis. So I see more than a million black people aborted every year uh, on average. In some states, more than half the abortions are wonderful, beautiful black babies. And I don't hear a word about this from the liberal black leaders, the white black leaders, or any of them. I know you speak about it. And so I kind of measure, you got a million dead black people over here, chopped up babies. We know they're innocent. You can even watch some of the sonogram videos where they're fighting the scalpel with their hands and their feet. I don't care what color the baby is, they fight for their lives because they're red-blooded. 
And then over here I've got 1,100 dead people. Maybe a thousand of them are black. Let's say all thousand of them were murdered in cold blood. The system's telling me to get upset about that all day, make that my main focus. When over here I've got a million dead black people and millions of dead white people and millions of dead other human beings. I think the greatest sin in the world is bringing children into the world. Delinquents, prisoners, all sorts of things just mark when they're born. And then I read Margaret Sanger going, we're going to pose as liberals. We're going to go into these black communities. We're going to buy off their preachers. We're going to get control of them. And we're going to get them in these big cities. And I look at the big liberal cities where they've taken the guns from the black people, where they've shipped the drugs in, where they've got the Planned Parenthood on every corner. And I tell you, growing up around conservatives, libertarians, I never heard racist talk in Dallas, Texas. But when I started hearing the racist talk was when I would get around liberals and Democrats and people when I was in college and when I was getting politically involved, I'd have white liberals and black liberals come up to me and they say, nobody wants these trashy black scum and if you want them, you take them. And I'm going to tell you right now, that's where I've heard the racism. That's where I've heard the sneakiness. And if you want to know where the white devils are, Mr. Louis Farrakhan, I can tell you right now they run the Democratic Party. 100%, and they've got black people in their web murdering your people, and they love it, and they think that people don't see them. Well, I see them, and I know who they are, and I don't care what color a baby is. My soul won't allow me to hate somebody because of what color they are, because I know I'll be destroyed if I ever go that direction. And so that's where I stand. That's why I wanted to have this meeting with you, because you already tell people a lot of great things, and I know you may reach tens of millions, but if you, which you've already done, magnifying exposing what's in the vaccines. They've caught them in Africa and India with the sterilants, you know that. If you expose the abortion, which I know you do, and said, you know what, somebody kills you and gets away with it, they need to be dealt with, I agree. Well, what about what's going on in these abortuaries? What about Planned Parenthood? What about what's happening there? Thank you so much. When the government made abortion legal, and we have degenerated as a society that we want pleasure but not responsibility. So the society is being herded like animals into sexual oblivion where sex is the order of the day and now you find it being practiced by kindergarten students where they've seen their parents or they turn on the television this television I was on you know a calypso singer I used to sing and and I would move my body in a sensuous kind of way but when I was on television they would show me from here up they would not allow at that time in the 40s and 50s anybody to sell sex on TV. Look at it now. What is happening to great America where she like Rome, like Babylon, like Sodom and Gomorrah is degenerating into the fountain head of immorality and corruption in Africa. You know, they don't talk about homosexuality because it never was an African thing. And they have laws against it. But America says, if you want this money, 
that we are willing to loan you, then you have to change that law. Obama goes to Kenya and says, and, and going back to earlier, I'm not against Jenner or whatever her name is today. I'm not a hater, but you can see the agenda. I can't even let my kids watch any TV now or go anywhere. They go to school and hear about it. They're force-feeding my children, not just sexuality, when that's not their business. That's called pedophilia to push sex on kids. But they're pushing stuff that isn't natural. And then they say, I'm a hater. I want to take my speech away because I can see an agenda for these perverts to get involved with my children. And this, um, sir, is why in the nation and in the Quran, we, we can't have abortions. And the Catholic Church was, I believe, for that, not a... Uh, birth control, but not abortions. When I was on the mall a few weeks ago in Washington, I talked about my mom, and I talked about the circumstances around my birth, and my mother knew that if I came to birth, I could disrupt her relationship with the man that she was with because my father, whom she married, and he um, was a handsome philanderer, so she got rid of him. But he came back on the scene, and she was pregnant with me. The man, my mother's very dark, and the man that gave my mother her first child is very dark, so my, ch my brother's dark. But my father was light-skinned, curly-haired. So she was afraid that if that baby came to birth and was light-skinned, it would destroy a relationship with that man. So she decided to abort me. And she tried three times to abort me. And on the third time, in those days, she used a hanger, and she was unsuccessful, and I came to birth. And I said that on the mall to all those people that were there and to the millions who were watching. If my mother was successful in aborting me, what would the world have lost? Jesus was born under strange circumstances and he had she had to be put away privily as the bible teaches because if she were seen pregnant the law was where's the husband where's the father well you say holy ghost but we know there's no human being born without the agency of a man that's real so they would have killed mary but her baby was the last prophet to the Jewish people, Jesus. I'm saying that to say this. Every prayer that we pray is answered through the womb of a woman. If there were no Steve Jobs and his mother aborted him, we might not have had iPad, iPhone. We might not have had the tremendous 
advancement that we have made in science and technology, it all came from a child born from a woman, some simple woman yet producing greatness. This womb is the workshop of God. And when you pray and I pray that our loved ones who die of cancer, some die of AIDS, some die of diabetes, some die of Alzheimer's, there is a cure for everything. And that cure is not going to drop out of the sky. It's going to come from the womb of a woman and a baby that was given a chance to live and to grow. So on that mall that day, I asked every woman that was expecting, I said, put your hand over your womb. And I prayed that what was in her womb, if they would let it grow to term, that that baby would be a child that would work to build a new and better world for all of us. And that's why we're against eugenics. Mr. Muhammad was death on birth control. He called it a death plan by the government against poor people. So we find that we are kindred spirits in so many ways. And you know, Mr. Jones, I felt that today. I felt that when we met and you could question me, strip away whatever there is, if there's something to be stripped away, that America could see me as I am, white people could see me as I am. <laughs> Us were brought out of Africa 
not to be citizens, but to be made burden bearers of the real citizens. So our sweat and our blood made America rich so that immigrants could come over and find the American dream on our nightmare. So if Mr. Trump, and I believe he's bold enough, if he knew how much God is interested in the future of black people, not that he's not interested in the future of all people, but he's interested in the future of black people for this reason. You know, there's not a Jewish person that suffered under the Holocaust could come home to their mom or dad with a German as a boyfriend or girlfriend. Not right away. Time had to erode the pain of what the Holocaust really was. But black people, no matter what we have suffered up to this very moment, we have never been spies for any foreign government against America. We have never risen up as a force against the tyranny that has been imposed on us by our government. We have fought in every war from the Revolutionary War all the way up to the last war that it was in the Gulf. And we have never turned against our country. We have a heart, Mr. Jones, of forgiveness, a heart that today we can love those who have done us so much evil. So God wants to use us, that kind of heart. And that's what I said on the mall, Thomas Jefferson and the early writers of the um, Declaration of Independence, they knew that slavery was wrong, but they had it. And Thomas Jefferson made this statement, I tremble for my country when I reflect that God is just and that his justice will not sleep forever. So we've arrived, Mr. Jones, at a time when what people have sown, all of us, America has sown some terrible things. And in a time of reaping, that's why I know that the present powers, they don't love the American people. They don't even love their own children because the scripture says, prepare slaughter for the children, for the iniquities of their father because somebody has to pay for the evil that the government not only on us and on white people and poor people, but on all the peoples of the world. So I close thanking God for you in this moment, hoping, hoping and praying 
that what is done with these words from you and myself will open a door that dialogue can continue and that this may just be the first because you've got so many questions yet to ask of me and I want part two to be better than part one. Well, I'll tell you, this has been a great interview and, and I've talked about the least I ever talked and I, I know you've gone for an hour and a half. Uh, I've got like four or five other questions. Is that all right? Go ahead. I don't want to engage in tribalism. That's how all people operate. We're all the same. And people operate in groups, Ford, Chevy, Cowboys versus the 49ers. Uh, people like it. It's, it's easy. It's not that folks are even stupid. It's just it's easy to get comfortable in your own group. It's easy to play into that. Uh, you get rewarded for that. The system kind of wants a dumbed-down dialogue. But even when you want to do the right thing, the system winds people up. When I grew up in Dallas, uh, let me tell you, I, I can sure tell some stories about racist black people doing bad things to me, but I'm not stupid enough, like Martin Luther King said, I just people about how they actually operate and who they are as people. I have a lot of black friends as well growing up. But I didn't get a chip on my shoulder and then just project it onto all black people because I also had groups of people, you know, that are what you call rednecks or whatever, who were in their own group who looked just like me, but if I wasn't in their group at a certain place in time, they would just attack me. Uh, that's tribalism. And I was smart enough about how I was about 16 to go, these black people act just like these white people. Uh, or if I ran into a group of you know, racist Mexicans that bug me or attack me or whatever, I didn't then project that on the Mexicans in general because uh, four Mexicans attacked me and broke my leg when I was 16. But at the same time, even if you want to work with people, if you're unable with the media control, the media manipulation and these systems, when they do, kick off racial division, racial hatred, and then hype the stories that legitimize that by conservative Americans going in and blowing up a mosque. I pray every day that doesn't happen. Uh, or shooting up a mosque. Or vice versa, uh, you know, uh, black folks that are angry going and attacking a police station, which thank God hasn't happened. Things like that. It then manifests something where even though I'm not racist, or even though I'm not a tribalist, and I believe in humanity, I'm a fan of humanity, and, and doing it to others is not having to do it to me. Because in my gut, I know that's the right way to go. What do you do as you see them manifesting, I believe, an attempt to create cultural war, not just race war, but men against women, and women against men, and north against south, and old against young, and oh, the baby boomers are going to get the money. We just euthanize them. We wouldn't be going bankrupt. You see this system coming in with CNN and MSNBC and others that is the very opposite of things that Dr. Martin Luther King taught, that it's all about what group you are. I mean, I see colleges where they say, we shouldn't serve Mexican food or Chinese food or anything because it's cultural appropriation. I, I mean, what is that? That's actually a melting pot of people coming together. Or brown bags in Seattle are racist. Or um, the word mother and father is hateful. Or he or she. All across the country, they're teaching kids, you're not a boy or girl, you're a purple penguin. This is total division, total obsession about petty differences, total tower of Babel to enslave us and bring us down. And so I came here, and I didn't really tell you guys this, but you, you met with me before we talked, said that was your mission. That's my mission, so I believe it is, you know, obviously serendipity, synchronicity meant to happen, that the system knows it's losing power. It knows people are waking up. 
So it's accelerating a divide and conquer and plan on real issues and real grievances. But that's at one level. Above it, it's totally made up, totally synthetic, how it's being manipulated. I see myself subconsciously using race, using balkanization, even when I cover it, because even though I'm a truthful person, my flesh likes it and wants to do it. And I see black people doing the same thing in every other group and all the you know folks that have come together, uh, people that are you know against those that aren't obsessed with video games or people that are against those that aren't into sports, whatever. All these divisions, how do we beat that? How do we not play down that destructive road? First of all, we have to understand nature. God says in the Quran, I created you into tribes and families that you may know one another. Well, your tribe is not my tribe, but if I do not have enough sense to be to my tribe a person that would suffice the needs of my tribe, then I'm not being true to who I am, but I'm called on to grow. And it's in the process of growth where we have fallen down. So now I have to look out for black people. I mean, that's, that's my love. But that's not all that there is to me because I have grown and I love humanity now. But if I'm not true to my own people and their needs, you cannot trust me to be true to you and your needs. So the first thing Jesus said, the greatest law, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second one is like unto that, love your neighbor as you love yourself. In America, we have never been taught to love us. We're taught that our blackness is a curse, that our broad nose, our thick lips, our kinky hair is a divine curse. And that has been believed by many, so we come up feeling inferior because the slave master made sure we didn't know how to read for 300 years. And it's the nature of the human being to know, but then to deprive us of knowledge, which is what separates man from beast. Then you lower us into the family of wild animals. And, and, and let me just interject. I totally agree. Uh, you watch you over the years about so much you guys have done. I agree. People need to have culture, family, uh, you know, tribes of people. Political correctness is even going after people being proud of their culture, whether it's Japanese, Scottish, African. I mean, you can see it's a war against people, it's a war against families, it's a war against men, it's a war against women. And that's what I'm getting at is the beta test that they've used against the black community is used against everybody. And people who think they're not being targeted or think they're above it have only lied to themselves. They want to abort the black community they want to abort the entire human family 
The globalists believe they're God, believe they're going to merge with machines, believe they're going to take over, believe they have divine right to rule us, and all I'm saying is we should all maintain our groups, be proud of ourselves, take care of issues we have with other groups. I get it, but there's this big, giant threat that's as bad as, you know, like the movie uh, Oblivion, where it's a foreign alien force come to kill everybody. I mean, the globalists consider themselves to be a new super species. It's Their direct- day is over. They will not accomplish that. That was, that was my question. They they accomplish no, <laughs> I can say it emphatically. Hell no. They will not do that. See, now I'm going to say something. I'm going to scripture here for a minute and I hope those who are familiar with scripture will understand this. All of the prophets came to their people first because there was a problem among their people that God wanted them to solve or to be solved so he intervened and raises one from among that people, speaking the language of that people to deal with the problems of that people. So you have Confucius over here, Tao over here, Zoroastrian over here, you have Buddha over here, you have Shinto over there, you have Moses, you have the Israelite prophets. But there's a seed planted in every one of these tribes. And now must be watered. Because if we stay in the tribal mentality, we are not in accord with the demand of the present time. The present time is warning us, cajoling us, and moving us. Be true to your tribe, but your tribe is a part of humanity. And if you stay just with a tribe, then you never become a nation. And so whenever I go to Africa, I preach against tribalism. Because if you're going to become a nation, then the tribe submerges itself into the national identity. And that's the miracle of what America represents because all of the Europeans that came, they came from their nation, their tribe. They came to America. They were always killing each other. Exactly. And then, but the American ideal overcame to a degree the tribe. Now, the Irish suffered when they came. The Jews suffered. The Italians suffered. Those that were here before them put it on them. But as time goes on, you see the evolution take place. So an Italian can be here with a Jew or a Gentile over here with a Jew over here. And now the, the Jews who were very close to the, each other I mean, they married within the, the, the religion. They didn't marry outside. But now that tradition is being broken because now there's a more growth, maturity. Jesus said it like this, or Paul said it. Look at these words. He says, 
in Christ. There's no Jew, no Greek, no bond, no free, no male, no female, all become one in Christ. The whole objective that Christianity has not yet reached that Christ had was to break down nationalism, tribalism, this idea that men must be against women and women against men when God made the two to complement each other. Their natures are born, made to embrace each other, console and comfort each other, guide and help each other to grow toward perfection. So this idea that you just articulated so beautifully, we're in the time now, we're maturing into well, well the globalists have a thought now they didn't get it out of thin air the globalists are trying to make a one world government that they're the boss of and all the wealth of the world will be governed and controlled by them well the truth is that that's what Christ wanted that's what Muhammad wanted no borders separating us. We're human beings. This is our earth. We came up out of the earth and we go back to the earth. When you die, you could die in China. The, the earth is not going to say, oh, he's not Chinese. He can't be buried here. The earth will take your body in China. It'll take mine in India. Wherever it is, we, we are from the earth. And so God is moving humanity toward that ideal one humanity but they exactly but they want to divide and conquer us and then rule us over division and enslave world government not it naturally happening because we all mature and grow together and then it just happens they want to bring in their counterfeit well here's what we see that's going to happen mr jones the powers of this world have gotten their powers through war and deceit and treachery. Maybe the next time we meet, God willing, we'll go deeper into the spiritual aspect of tribe and why Satan has come into religion, politics, education to create not create, but foster the divisions and then pit them against each other. When 9-11 took place, he was so angry, President Bush. He said, we will direct every resource at our command, every means every of means diplomacy, every, every tool, tool of intelligence, every instrument of law enforcement every financial influence and every necessary weapon of war to the disruption and to the defeat of the global terror network and then he talked about ripping up these terror cells so did Colin Powell so did others so their anger put them on a destructive course to use all the power 
of American military might to, this is the cover though, to destroy all of these quote-unquote terrorist cells. But underneath, your aim was to create war, to steal the resources of the nations. Russia is seen as a threat. So America now has put weapons in NATO. And some of the earlier, some of those that were in the Soviet empire have now become part of NATO. So Russia feels threatened. And just the other day, Russia said they see NATO as a potential threat. Now, war is coming. It's a horrible war that my teacher taught us of. And I got to say, my teacher again is the Honorable Elijah Muhammad. I believe him to be a messenger of God. I believe that God raised him as a warner to America. America, you are reaping now what you have sown. You can't fight the natural disasters that are coming. And way back in the 60s, Mr. Uh, uh, Jones, Elijah Muhammad said, America would suffer from unusual rain, unusual snow, earthquakes, unusual. Then the forces of nature, hail, sleet, snow, cold, fire. Now look at America. You just came from Texas. Something horrible happened there just a few days ago. But you can't say, who did that? Well, you can call it El Nino, El Nino, my foot. That is God's judgment coming on America as it was written. Now, God has said, you have to reap now what you've sown. You've destroyed cities and towns in Europe, in Africa, in the Middle East, things that you didn't want. America destroyed them. Now look at your cities. They're underwater. Your farmland being destroyed. Fire burning the lands of California in the West. Tornadoes, hurricanes. And, and it's just the beginning. This is just the beginning. And that is what I wanted to say about whoever will be our president. If you're not dealing with that which has incurred the wrath of God, then you can't make America great again. And you can't bring America back from the abyss that she's falling into. Within the next few years, the dollar that we kill each other for will be devalued into nothing. What will people use when the dollar is gone? What will happen to the world? A war is coming. And that war will clean the slate. And whatever is left will find a way to become one.
with each other. We have no other alternative than either to live together in peace. So God is going to set up a government. This one is not it. Well, obviously, I came here with the intention to do an open, real interview, and you were on the same page, uh, but it's gone even better than I thought, and obviously I'm going to put this interview out pretty much in its entirety with a lot of clips that uh, basically augment what we've discussed here today, and I know full well the media will take it out of context and say that Alex Jones endorses everything the Minister Louis Farrakhan has to say. You know, even if it was 30, 40 years ago, we all grow, but that doesn't matter. Because this interview is to get people of all spectrums thinking outside the box and getting over the new tyranny that is political correctness to not talk to each other, to be all upset and scared, and to watch what we say uh, so that they can restrict all free speech. And I don't think anybody can disagree with the fact that this has been a very, very important interview. And that unfortunately, so many of the warnings that you have raised in the past are unfolding. Uh, and I do hope that uh, that my group InfoWars can talk with your organization and group and hopefully share information because that's what it's all about. I mean, you look at Russia right now. For five years, this never happened even during the Cold War, when the Soviet Union was truly evil. They will not communicate with the Russians at any level. They just won't talk to them. And they send their envoys here and they just won't meet with them. Uh, that's was only going on during you know, World War II with the Nazis. It, it's really unprecedented that a state of war already basically exists with Russia. And you can you say what you want about Russia. Russia. I'm not lionizing Russia. Russia. But we're so corrupt that you can actually say that, that Russia is good now to many respects, promoting family, promoting organic food, not pushing vaccines. You turn on Russian TV, it's, you know, U.S. vaccines, foul cancer viruses, uh, fluoride, brain damages. I mean, the Russians have already gone to the bottom of this social engineering. New York City, the private Federal Reserve, is on record financing the Bolsheviks, sending the 100,000-man army over there. Uh, the truth is that whole Soviet evil we fought was a creation of the wicked system that couldn't get it all done here right away, so went over through the czars, who were under feudalism, and took over that weak host and just installed pure evil, and then used that evil to take our freedoms over here in the name of responding to it. Uh, and it, it's, 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 I don't want to see that here. I know that just incredible, you can see it, but I can feel it, just great evil is coming, great judgment. And uh, folks better get themselves right right now to God and, 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 and get past all the petty fighting, all the petty mindlessness, myself included, because we all get angry, we all, you know, who are real, shoot from the hip. But uh, it's been a very, very uh, informative uh, interview, and I appreciate you giving me more than three hours of your time total when we first got here, Mr. Farrakhan. Thank you, and I, I must say that ISIS is the bastard child of America's errant foreign policy, and none of the globalist ideas will take root, and I guarantee this is put before the world to judge us as they will. We will find that there are more people who will agree and want to come out from behind the madness to try to make a better contribution, to make a better world.
We see that happening. So many people in Hollywood are saying, I don't want to be liberal. I don't want to be conservative. I want to be free. Minister Farrakhan, you speak about ISIS uh, in some of your speeches uh, being the bastard child of America. And who, who can doubt it is, but it's beyond that. Uh, the fighters themselves are misguided, obviously, but when you look at who funds it, who protects it, who runs it, it's the neocons inside the White House. And, and look, I know Obama is just a pitch man, a CEO, as you say, but at the same time, I didn't support him or McCain because I was just hoping that Obama would come in and actually bring reconciliation, how naive I was. Clearly, the systems used him to create racial division, all these problems. Look at what they did to Gaddafi. A Republican couldn't have gotten away with that. Imagine if Bush would have been doing that, what you would have had to say about him. I know you had strong words for Obama, but now Obama, Hillary, the neocons behind him, turning loose a multi-hundred-thousand-man army to run around murdering all these innocent people, killing Muslims, killing Christians, and then our media sits there and tries to spin it when Anderson Cooper is endorsing the rebels in Libya, in Egypt, uh, in places uh, uh, like we see in Syria. And then even our arch allies, the Egyptians go and join the Russians now. And uh, it's on national TV there and in their print that our government runs ISIS and Al-Qaeda. A, do you agree with that? And then B, what do you think this signifies that they would be so bold as to run this radical proxy army against the world with a hope of having a clash of civilizations and then blaming it on Islam and the Muslim world in general. I mean, cannot the Muslim world see it's a major setup, a part two of 9-11? There is a problem. And in one that is called Mahdi, M-A-H-H-D-I, that's the guide that the Islamic world has been expecting. And Masi, or Messiah, which the Christian and Jewish world have been expecting. And this Mahdi, when he comes, his number one aim is to set justice in the earth and remove every tyrant and set up a government of peace. That's his aim. That's the aim of the Messiah, the Christ. Now what we are looking at, these are, these are not spooks and spirits that come out of space. These are human beings anointed with power and wisdom to do exactly what they purpose to do. That's why I know the globalists will never win. It appears that they're winning, but their plot is turning in against them. Here's how I would see it. In Islam, the religion needs to be reformed. In fact, all religion has failed to produce the human being God wants out of us. If we are made in the image and the likeness of God, we are created by God to reflect Him perfectly. That is not in religion today. So Islam now 
has tyrants ruling. Saudi Mecca is uh, my holy city. I love Mecca. I love Arabia. But who is backing Arabia in killing the Houthis in Yemen? Using American firepower, planes and tanks and guns. Okay, now there's internal strife. They killed a, an imam, a Shiite imam. Now they've broken relations. And this thing is, is leading to great war now. And America, they, ISIS says, come on over. And America says, we've got to put boots on the ground. No, you put boots under the ground if you're foolish enough to jump into that fray. That is made now because the number one tyrant is not Russia. The number one tyrant is right here. So everything is moving to bring this house down. And what's happening is it's coming down from within like ancient Rome and Babylon. But war will bring it to an end. So I would hope as I leave this wonderful dialogue with you, sir, that those who want to be president, if you can't see how to turn the wrath of God away from America because I want you to pay close attention to the weather. You're going to see rain like you've never seen it. Snow like you've never seen it. God is going to turn the very things that you need to survive and make it your enemy. Right now in Texas, thousands of head of cattle were destroyed in this last thing. Milk gone. Famine is coming to us who have eaten well. But God is going to humble America and the so-called globalists. I laugh at you because you have laid the trap but your foot is in your own trap. The whole world will go free. Free of all tyrants. And I am with God to set down every tyrant on this earth. The people must be free to grow, to develop, to be cultivated that the glory of God may be seen in the human being that he created. I dare you, but I know you. <laughs> I dare you, but I think if you can see in what we're saying your own salvation, you have to break from those who control you and stop lying and stop telling the truth to the American people and to the world. And if you don't, 
your power as media is gradually being destroyed. You tried when you put Mr. Trump on television every minute of every day, questioning, hoping he would say something that would blow him out of the water. And every day he got stronger and stronger. That shows that your media is not working. So why not work it for good? So my host, uh, my brother has asked me, uh, he said, uh, warn them, tell them, I dare you. Well, I dare you to be good. And I know you can't be good unless a gun is put to your head. <laughs> but gun is at your head right now. So go on and be good. It's better for you if you did. Thank you.